Hello and welcome back to Happy Porch Radio. This season, season six, we are focusing on the circular economy across the continent of Africa. Today we were joined by Kieran Smith, co-founder and CEO of Mr. Green Africa. Kieran comes from a business and banking background and is now applying his entrepreneurial experience to the waste management sector in Kenya, trading recyclable materials while achieving tangible social and environmental impact. We had the pleasure of this conversation with Kieran to hear more about how this idea has really been solid from day one in terms of that triple bottom line of people, planet and profit. And also hearing about his huge ambitions for where this company can go in the future. This was a really interesting conversation, Barry. There was so much. We say this every single episode. (laughs) And then we also say every episode, we say this every episode. That's true. But it's true, there's just not enough time in these short conversations to get into the really interesting, juicy bits of everything that Kieran's doing and thinking about and aiming for. Yeah, I'm getting more and more excited about this season and, and every every conversation is just, it's just mind-blowing, really. And yeah, Kieran was incredibly clear and able to articulate what is a, a series of complex issues and questions, right, where he's working on um, low-income people who are picking up waste in, in Nairobi and clearly tying it back to the whole value chain and the conversations around all this, how to make the whole thing circular and, as he said, taking baby steps toward this this huge mission. I really, really enjoyed that conversation. And then again, we had another great chat about the way technology in the right context and used in the right way can be impactful as well. Yeah, I especially thought it was really impressive how Kieran seems to have an eye on, as you say, every point in that value chain and also every human connection there. You know, the social impact is just as important as the environmental and the profit when Kieran is talking about it. And he seems to have that overview of just kind of every point in the chain. Who is this affecting? How can we maybe make more value for those people involved there? It was very impressive. It totally was. And they recently became B Corp certified. And he talked about that in a really great way as well and how they were looking to measure their impact on three very clear pillars. And there's just so much there. It's really, he comes across as really thoughtful and applying that in a very actionable way within Mr. Green Africa. And so without any further ado, let's meet Kieran. Hi, everybody. I'm Kieran Smith, co-founder and CEO of Mr. Green Africa. And what we do at Mr. Green Africa, since plastic waste is one of the biggest challenges of our time, and we all need to do something, we made the choice to basically make the informal waste sector part of our solution, especially in the global south, and partner with FMZG companies to position social, but also environmental impact at the core of a financially sustainable and, and scalable business. Wonderful, and welcome to Happy Porch Radio. Let's bring that to life a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about how you do what you just described. You're doing this multifaceted thing of working on plastic and doing that within this, uh, I guess, a social mission. Can you talk a little bit about what that actually looks like on the ground? When we first started out and there was no formal value chain in, in collection and, and infrastructure in, in here in Nairobi, in Kenya, when we when we started out. So we really looked at the value chain and the supply chain of the, that that was very informal or still is very informal today and when we entered and sort of started participating in this market we took a lot of principles and and methodologies that you would see typically in this fair trade value chains with tea banana coffee industries where they try to integrate smallholder farmers and exact similar 
more urban farmers in waste pickers have been there for decades before Mr. Green started, you know. And so what we did is basically set up a trading point, also to be looked at like a buyback center in the community where such pickers can come and sell their material by kg. Based on the measurement of their kgs, they get a, a better price point, more transparent price point, but also a much more reliable price point from Mr. Green Africa. And then from there on, we really bring it back through the entire value chain into a processing step that allows us to now convert this plastic waste into something very high of high value that can be used again in, in the plastic manufacturing uh, supply chain to produce any types of products again. And so, so this full end-to-end supply chain engagement and making sure that the people who add the most value and picking each plastic bottle get the best deal out of it from Mr. Green Africa. What's the origin story? Like you've got this very clear, very clearly articulated journey and mission that you do. Did you start out in mind with, okay, that's what we're going to do? Or or did it kind of grow out of different roots? Yeah, no, I mean, it was from day one that we had sort of the end approach in our DNA that we can be profitable and we can do good for the environment and uh, for people, you know? And so that end approach was sort of uh, the main point why we started. We also started at a time when where nobody talked about circular economy, the way we talk about circular economy today, or nobody was talking about the plastic pollution as much as we talk about it today as people and consumers are more aware about it, you know? So really the origin out of that is I saw so many similarities in these informal trade chain as they were sort of in the farming trade chains, if you will. And so, hence, I I came to the conclusion that why is nobody doing something similar? Because it's obviously nothing is, it's still a commodity. Waste is a commodity. Plastic is a commodity, especially once it's aggregated. And so why do the same principles of fair trade not apply in this value chain? And so, hence, why it's sort of the ethos of Mr. Green really started of combining these elements, you know, And, and ultimately we had what we didn't know when we started is that we had to build all these three businesses in once, you know, the collection business, the inclusive, the fair elements, but then also the processing business, you know, where you're much more local infrastructure, resilient supply chains that you had to build from ground up. And then also integrating that with the potential customers like we have today, Unilever, PepsiCo, and those folks, super, super critical partners to really close that loop and bring that plastic into the highest possible and high value application. Nice. I really appreciate the focus throughout on that triple bottom line of people, planet and profit that that was there with you from the beginning. And it's still like the core of what you do. Just so I can understand a bit more, Kieran, because I really don't know much about this. Can you describe what the informal collection process looks like? Maybe what the status quo was before Mr. Green Africa came along and how that whole system maybe still works in some places and how your process differs from that? Let's focus more first on the problems, right, that we have. I mean, in the global south where you don't have sort of uh, formal waste collection from the doorsteps and households that get sort of serviced by these infrastructures or very limited service by these infrastructures, the effect out of that is that, you know, we have households burning their waste still and with it plastics, We have households discarding it in sort of illegally or sort of informally and create kind of like mini dump sites. And and that spills over into the water and rivers and and, and hence into the oceans. Obviously, we also have to deal with a lot of poverty, 
these marginalized people, so-called sort of waste pickers communities, and maybe we, we want to actually use a better term. Today, we call them reclaimers, right? Or waste reclaimers. For those communities, we're looking at why are they engaged in sort of collecting all these discarded materials, resources, right? Because they know that there's somebody who would buy like a sort of a main aggregator, also an informal person that has kind of like a yard or a shop like, like similar to our trading points, just a little bit less formal would buy back from the communities yeah, and to create a livelihood for them. And then they would sell it on to a middleman who would then sell it on to another middleman until it ends up in sort of a, a manufacturing supply chain that processes this, these materials, no matter what it is. But if we focus on plastics now, they apply it to low quality applications, you know, poles or benches or things like that, that are still better than ending up in the environment. But they have very little margins and value, right? And so the, the whole point of trying to create more value is sort of that more people can benefit from that. If you look at that value chain, so many middlemen who don't really add value to that product, they end up exploiting the people who add the most value, which are the people who go and pick from the streets, from the mini dump sites, all these valuables and individual containers and packagings to feed them back into the supply chain. The problem that the waste picker, the waste reclaimer communities face is then, you know, volatile prices, intransparency, like if the prices come down, the price will, the, the, the decline or the sort of the reduction will be definitely passed on to those guys. But if the price goes up, it's not going as quick as that sort of increase of price will, will be passed on. So these intransparencies and, and sometimes people don't get really paid because everybody's bootstrapped and, and cash strapped and so on. So they're in that trade chain, besides sort of the macro elements that drive that, as much as they create livelihoods within that, you have sort of a community that obviously is exposed and highly, highly vulnerable. Yeah, And so Mr. Green is really trying to sort of address that element. On one end, trying to increase the cake, make the plastics ultimately more valuable in a local value chain. So being more resilient allows us to redistribute that value that we that more value that we create upstream to the people who collect, and then really on that transactional level between us and the waste reclaimers, to really try to sort of formalize them in a, in a way that allows them to ultimately improve their quality of life. Besides a better price and transparent price and, and consistent offtake, you know how can we expand that transaction into a relationship and a partnership that allows them to really transition out of the condition that they're living in into a better condition, right? And and obviously, those are not leapfrogging conditions that with our presence, but they're baby steps leading towards more perspective, more dignity, etc. And so really, that's the essence, right? And it's so, as you can see, it's so important in order for us to do that in a sustainable way, in a long-term way, we have to ultimately create more value within the entire value chain and, and ultimately sell the plastic at a, at a better price and a better margin. And the only way to do that is to do more high value addition that allows to go into higher sort of quality applications that meet certain requirements in order to do so. Yeah, And so lucky enough, driven by fast-moving consumer goods companies like Unilever committing to the world using recycled material in their packaging, that created a demand for high-quality post-consumer recyclate that you can ultimately bring back into packaging that closes the loop again, you know, as the packaging is being created, bought in the supermarket, consumed, and then sort of dropped again within sort of the environment, it ends up again in a, in a cycle of Mr. Green Africa, right? So, so that's how we really were able sort of to change and formalize the situation. And, um, you know, I would still say we're a drop in the ocean. Ultimately, over time, we've been able to really make 
a difference in the market and ultimately increase prices for all waste pickers in Nairobi. You know, with our presence, even the other aggregators and the other middlemans had to up their game to pay them better and fairer and more transparently. Right. So we didn't take away from the middlemans in that sense, but we increased sort of the power of the waste pickers because they know they can always come to Mr. Green Africa and sell at a good price. Yeah. I really liked what you said at the start there by changing the terminology. So waste reclaimers or annuals before you talked about urban farming or and introducing the idea of taking what's the fair trade, which a lot of people will be familiar with in, for example, tea or coffee, like you say, that to me really clearly sort of are symptoms of what you're talking about there, sort of rethinking this whole journey and where the dignity and where the real value should be. Correct. And obviously, you know, we've been around now for six, seven years, sort of building these various different building blocks to make one business model. And and now we're really thinking of the next step. You know, obviously, we don't want to create more pickers who have to roam through the streets and stump sites and find plastics. You know, we want to make it more predictable, you know, and, and the only way to do that is really to start including the consumer and create value for the consumers or all types of consumers, you know, high end consumers. They get more value out of the environmental narrative, right? And perhaps even the social narratives. But the low-income consumers, they don't have much time to think about the environment. They have, they need to use their energy and time, unfortunately, to basically focus on surviving and eating, you know, and getting food on the table for them and their families. So how can we also enable such consumer to actually gain value out of bringing plastics back to sort of certain centers that Mr. Green Africa provides for them to not only engage and sort of have a monetary incentive, you know, but also be part of that societal and, and transformational change towards a better environment, you know, at least a cleaner environment. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was going to ask about zooming out a bit further, I suppose, when it comes to looking at this cycle of use and collection and claiming and then re and recycling and reuse. And that point of the kind of initial consumer is really interesting. As you say, different in so many contexts of kind of our relationship as a consumer with what we're purchasing, but then also the waste that we produce. And when we're valuing waste, because it can come back into this cycle to be recycled and reclaimed, there's always a question in my mind of how do we see that going kind of in the long term? Is there a point where we can say, okay, actually, we're reducing the waste without reducing the value of the recycling process. Does that make sense? It's all about transforming into and transitioning into a, a closed loop, right? So if you as a consumer understand that that packaging, that product, the content of with that packaging that I'm buying is not just after I've used the content, is not just waste, I can turn it into back into that packaging again. And, you know, all I need to do is X and, and get the incentive Y for it, you know? That element, that network thinking, that's, that's I think, the, the beauty in the global south because we can literally leapfrog, you know, into a circular economy where we can do drive behavioral change through this incentive system. In Europe or in, in the U.S., it needs much bigger effort and there are much bigger industries already affected by, you know, so-called circular economy. There are certain lobbies that don't want it, you know and sort of are hesitant and, and sort of resisting that change because they lose value. Those markets have been built on a linear system and now they have to transition into a circular system, you know? So it's inevitable that everybody will do that, but where it's already in established sectors, et cetera, it's harder to do transition and it takes more time. And 
I think here in, in sort of the global south and in, especially in African markets, we have that beautiful green field space where we can directly do it right. We can directly leapfrog into a circular system and include the people, you know. Circularity is a lot about, you know, from a resource perspective, but it can also be very much from a social perspective, you know, including the people who are already engaged in this system, although maybe informally, how can we make them part of a formal solution, right? And if you do that, you can actually accelerate that leapfrogging in a very transformational way. And that's really what's exciting for Mr. Green Africa, that opportunity to build that from scratch and build a unique model. You know, it's not a, a model that we copy from anywhere. It's kind of a blend between a deposit system, you know, that, that is highly regulated by some government bodies in certain European countries and kind of like this informal system that is there. And, and it's kind of that what we're talking about is kind of like a blend, you know, between those two worlds that could work. And so it sounds very promising for us to actually include consumers, make Waste pickers part of that logistics system, reverse logistics system, where they create much more predictable income and, and really have sort of visible and dignity on, on what their role is. And their role as a reclaimer has been redefined, you know, if we do that at scale successfully. That's amazing. I think that that vision. I really, well, one of the purposes of this season and of our podcast is to approach stories like what you've what you're saying here and that and that the, the difference between the reality on the ground in somewhere like Nairobi or in Kenya versus like here in Scotland and not for, for us I think there's opportunities for me and for us to be learning from that and to be sharing that story and celebrating it and I think what you articulated in the leapfrog there is it's that's an exciting an unbelievably exciting opportunity for for what you're doing in, in Nairobi and I guess across a lot of Africa yeah even even Southeast Asia Asia other parts of Asia and Latin America, you know, that you have, not sure if that number is correct, so don't hold me accountable, but I think last time I heard it was like there's 20 million waste reclaimers out there in, in, across the entire world, you know, in, even in the US. So, you know, looking at that scale of including individuals or collectives of individuals, you know, and really thinking about in the design of, of putting solutions down, on including them. I mean, this can be really transformational from an environmental and from a social perspective. Yeah, there's such potential there that can be harnessed, as you say, around the world in, in many different contexts. I imagine with this kind of a model that you've described to us so clearly, it's quite tricky to then, or maybe, I don't know, is it <laughs> tricky to measure your impact? And that question is like two-sided, both the social impact and the environmental impact. Yeah, it's definitely, it's not as obvious as one m might want to wish for. Yeah, but I think with the team here and since we're spending a lot of time here and, you know, it's as we've also claiming that, you know, social and environmental impact is, is at the core of our business, right? And it's as important as it is to run a profitable business. So how do we measure that right and so what we actually in the team internally just recently started like 12 months ago we went on a journey to think about this in a more structured way right how can we measure the impact and we obviously we try to you know engage with the fair trade organizations we try to various different organizations who have already done certain thought processes around value chain supply chains and vulnerable groups you know and engaging vulnerable groups although for a different commodity what we found was is that none of those standards that are already out there, they're, they're directly applicable to sort of our waste value chain, if you will. And so we went on a path down to, to structure this and sort of get overarching guidance from 
reputable and, and existing sort of frameworks like the, the B Corp uh, community has created, you know, of fundamentally creating businesses as force for good, you know, that is so in sync with our, our, our ethos as Mr. Green Africa, you know, and then there within that you have various different areas and, and criteria and categories of how you can measure the business on that. Then if you trickle it down to be more specific, we started creating something that we call the Succular Framework. Yeah, And that Succular Framework really tries to tackle the three pillars that are very unique to Mr. Green Africa now in that sense, or, or unique to our value chain, if you will. And, and so we have the part of that, that social inclusion as one pillar that tries to measure on how we integrate and transact and build relationships with the waste picking or waste reclaiming communities and how do we ultimately improve their quality of life, yeah? How do we improve the quality, but B, on how many people, yeah, as well. And then there, there's the middle pillar that talks about now on when we recycle and when they, obviously there's a processing and a production and the factory element to it, right? So how do we recycle this plastic, you know? What energy do we use? What do we recycle the water, etc.? So the element of the resources that we use to turn and convert this plastic waste into something valuable again. How can we measure ourselves against that? And and how do we bring it from you know now just being on the grid to maybe solar power, etc.? You know. So those are again the, the, the pillar around our in, own environmental footprint in doing our business. And then the final pillar is. The circular pillar, like how much of our plastic goes back into an application that can come back into our strain and, and value chain versus, you know, creating a, a roof tile or a building block for a building that extends the lifetime drastically of the plastic. But once end of life of that brick, what happens? Can we recycle it again or what happens to it, right? And so our contribution of the, the plastic that we bring back through our network and feeding it into applications so it can stay in a closed-loop system, how much do we contribute to that? And we want to measure that as well. So those measurements ultimately will lead to kind of KPIs and, and point systems that allow us to say, at year one, we had so many points on these KPIs, and on year two, we increased our points by X, and on year three, we increased our points by Y, etc. Right. So we can grow the numbers of points we gain against that framework, that ideal benchmark that we're setting, yeah? And that's how we can, A, measure the impact or make it a little bit more tangible, and B, we can also start measuring our growth in impact, right? Which is actually the, the bigger goal of that framework to actually grow and measure your growth impact. Same way how we want to measure our revenue, it grew by X percent from one year to another, or profits, it grew from one year to another. We want to be able to articulate that our impact in the various different fields have grown as well over time. That's how we're thinking about our impact and measuring it and then sharing it, obviously, in form of numbers, but also in form of case studies and, you know, uh, going down to the very emotional piece of an individual, you know, and we've changed that one individual's life, but that way that this individual was changed, we have changed a thousand of them. It makes it also much more tangible and emotional, emotionally connected. We as human beings, we realize, you know, when we say, the environment is, is under threat. We don't feel it today, you know? But funny enough, with social things, poor people, seeing people struggling and suffering, it affects us immediately. It creates behavior change to at least for in that moment, bring someone over the finish line to contribute in some way or the other to try to address this problem. The effect out of if somebody donated something or 
you know, did something for that and tried to change that problem, the effect in the emotion of the human being changes is there immediately, right? That I feel better. And for the environment, it's not as, as evident, unfortunately. Yeah, which is a tough problem, I think, generally. But I really like your three pillars there. And also, I noticed, I think you've recently reached the or achieved the B Corp certification. Yeah, so congratulations on that. And obviously, what you were saying there, I think, is a real evidence of not just doing it for its own sake, but as part of this thought process, part of, as you're saying, working out how to take that mission and, and grow it and take it to the next level. I'd like to change tack a little bit and talk about one of the themes of the podcast is technology and digital. And one of the, and in that sense, one of the things that's interesting for this season, whereas last season, most of our guests were in Europe or in developed countries, basically. So I'm really interested in how you use on your site and, and, and on your marketing, it talks about this technology and the smart technology you use and how that works in the context of everything you've just described. Yeah, so obviously we're pretty much a brick and mortar business and we knew that from day one that such a complex, trying to run and manage and control such a complex brick and mortar business with so many different stakeholders, right? And so many different infrastructural elements like these trading points that I mentioned, right? Like that transaction, how do we facilitate that transaction? How do we transport this material? How do we process it? Can we follow that? monetary flow and inventory flow. So from day one, it was very clear that we need to have a system that allows us to track all these various mini transactions. You know, we're buying one kg, two kgs, 10 kgs of plastic at a time. And they have value of what? Between $20 cents and the dollar, you know, at a time uh, with many, many different people. So how do we track that and how do we find logic in that and, and control that? So super complex. And so it was very clear that from a software technology point of view, with the technologies that we have today, with apps on the ground, we can kind of create points of sales system or points of purchase systems in a very variable way and, and a scalable way. And so hence how we then started developing our own software that enabled us to transact register with the communities in a very decentral way and obviously also from a logistical point of view inform when do we need to collect and fetch uh, plastics to bring it to our main aggregation point where we do the processing yeah and then how do we follow the processing of how much should we receive how much should we process how much should we sell to our customer a full end-to-end -end solution and that just from a business sort of enterprise resource system point of view it's inevitable that we, we need to be able to do that if we want to run sustainable business. And, and again, because we couldn't find something that would suit our needs and sector at that time, and the people who would have offered it to us to do it was just so outrageously expensive that we had to go again on the path to, to build it on our own. And so hence, we, we from day one, very early on, started adapting initial existing software systems that were, for example, used in tea industry, which smuggled the farmers there, and we just applied it to our own commodity. And then we were able to grow out of it and, and really build our own system that was, is fully integrated, automated in a way that you have real-time data in each store where you buy back of how much from who, et cetera. Yeah? So, so that's the software element. And we realized that as we did that, and as we started selling our product to more sophisticated off-takers and buyers like Unilever, they obviously also needed the certainty of when we claim social impact, when we claim fair trade, how do we do that? And our system enabled us to do that very quickly and really show the transparency that our partners were looking for. Yeah. So, so that's sort of the technology-enabled part from software. And 
we realize that it doesn't stop there. You know, there's endless potential on both ends, upstreams and downstream. Upstream meaning engaging with consumers, engaging with, with pickers and, and, and making that more efficient and, and, and sort of finding different ways on transactions, but also upstream towards our customers like the guys of Unilever on giving them reporting and what I alluded to before with our Succular framework, how can we share and measure and say every kg that you buy from Mr. Green Africa is linked to a certain amount of, of impact monetarily, socially, and environmentally. So because of this end-to-end solution from a software perspective, there's endless potential to integrate with existing tools, build our own if need to, and combine them and, and adapt it to the, the model Mr. Green, for, that Mr. Green Africa has created. Yeah? So that's from a software. Before I move into hardware now, I'm happy to take some additional questions on this. Uh, well, I mean, I, there's an infinite number of questions I have, but I, we, we can't go on for, for all day. But I think there's, there's two interesting questions there that come to mind. One is, you mean you lit- when you say you built it yourselves, you literally employ developers and do it in-house? Is that what you mean? Yeah, well, both external sort of the, the sort of the strategy point is is internal. The point of contact and the design thinking was internal, and then we obviously also outsourced and got consultants helping us uh, thinking this through. Of course, yeah. And when you say the and that you've got that automated system, you know, I mean, as a reclaimer, as somebody who's coming along with a couple of kilos of plastic, what's my experience of that? Is it just a case of somebody else's? What's the interface there? So basically, as a waste reclaimer, you walk up to one of these trading points or buyback centers, and then there's a sort of a teller, we call them clerks, sort of engaging with you, selecting the material. If you're a new reclaimer, then first you would go through a registering process, registration process, and sort of a briefing around what Mr. Green Africa is and what is our vision, and etc. So engagement elements. And then you basically just, what we have there is sort of a Bluetooth scale that directly sort of feeds when something is being weighed, feeds directly into the, into the system, how much kgs is being weighed. And then that's directly linked to that person's ID, supplier ID, if you will. Yeah? And then once the transaction is, is completed and the, the supplier is paid, that will feed, that transaction will feed into sort of this backend system database that allows us to aggregate all the various different suppliers and see who has supplied the most and who has supplied the least and which day, who is coming, when, and et cetera, et cetera. That's, that kind of stuff is what we've, what we've built on the ground. We try to bring this to the next level and try to now communicate with the people who do have, for example, mobile phones and, and a mobile wallet. They even get paid cashless. Yeah? So they, it then automatically transfers the monetary value of whatever they brought into their e-wallet, their Mr. Green e-wallet that they can withdraw from and things like that. Yeah. Unfortunately, many informal reclaimers still don't have phones, so we don't have a majority of people that are already on the e-wallet because once you have the e-wallet, you create a track record of income and, and it allows to open up what are many more doors in terms of financial inclusion, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that opens the door for interesting things around financial education as well as well as inclusion. And as you said, the potential in both directions, it must be slightly overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it's hard to focus because there's so many great things we can and want to, but it's important to get the foundations and the fundamentals right. Especially the stuff that technology cannot solve is the human interaction, the interaction with the brand and the, all these things technology cannot solve. It only makes it more efficient, right? And so as much as we're technology enabled, that brick and mortar, that physical presence, the people working there is so, so critical. And, you know, even there on that point, we have a long, long way to go to make this such a 
top and state-of-the-art experience where people will ultimately say, this is the best brand that I've ever met in my experience, you know, and I think we're still, we still have some way to go there. It's great to hear about all these different aspects of your ambition, Kieran, you know, whether it's on the technology side or the social impact, environmental impact, to kind of round it all off. Do you think, (laughs) this might be asking a lot, do you think you can kind of give me a sum, like just a summary of your vision for what it is you're aiming for um, in these communities where you work with Mr. Green Africa, or maybe on a broader scale, like on a continental or even global scale, what's the dream? Let's dissect that a bit. And obviously, if we if we start on two big things is, is sort of the vision and then the purpose, right? Sort of the purpose is really sort of why are we here? The vision is what do we want to achieve, right? And, and so if we look at why are we here, you know, it's, it's really about redefining the plastics from waste to something valuable, right? And make this localized circular economy, in, in, especially in the global south or in emerging markets, a commonplace, right? So that's why we're here, you know, and we will not stop until it's like that. From a vision perspective, it's really sort of how can we be and being that leader in the global south or in emerging markets where we can supply these global brand owners and industrial plastic manufacturers with this sort of inclusive, local, sustainable and traceable high quality recycled plastic as a commodity while not losing the positioning of this social and environmental impact, right? Again, the and approach, right, which is at the core for us as a business, right? And that, that's really the vision of, of being that leader in that area on the globe. The, the vision and the purpose is really driven by these two key pillars, the technology-driven element that we've talked about from a software enabled to really leverage the newest technologies to connect these dots across the entire value chain in the most efficient and scalable way, right? But also hardware converting that material into the highest possible value at all times. Yeah, because the more value we create, the more value we can redistribute entire the, along the entire chain and the more we can improve the livelihoods, right? And finally, you know, we want to do all of that in a fair, inclusive, and in a local way. And what do we mean by local is that, you know, what we've built here in Nairobi and, and Kenya, this is a closed-loop system within Kenya, yeah? So we have created a raw material for the Kenyan market again, yeah? And, and that's where we become competitive versus imported virgin material that comes from the Middle East, China, or US, right? So local value addition is so, so key. If you look at other commodity value chains, even coffee, even tea, they're still so backwards because the smallholder farmers, they get the lowest value of the entire coffee value chain, you know? The people who get the most are the roasters and the people who sell to the consumers directly. But very little actually gets passed on still, even in a fair trade system to that smallholder farmer, right? And so the more local value we create, the more we can redistribute and share upstream. And that's sort of what we talk about, inclusiveness, fairness, and and local recycling companies, which we believe that will be resilient, will be future fit, and will be able to collaborate effectively with the entire ecosystem, if you will, right? And also on a global scale, or at least at the scale within the global south. That's really inspiring to hear and and quite a mission. I kind of see you as like having this really broad overview of things that are going on in this field and, and kind of using your skills and resources to kind of 
join up some of the gaps and make sure that everything runs smoothly. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for listening and giving us the opportunity to share that with more people. I mean, you know, Rome was not built in one day, right? So it takes some time and uh, it takes baby steps. And the more we take these steps, the more we realize how interconnected all of it is. Very final thought to leave our listeners with for those who want to or are interested in finding out more or who are looking for opportunities to work with or, or connect with Mr. Green, where should they go? Well, I think best is on our website where we consistently work hard to sort of update and, and on the, especially in the new section, new partnerships that we engage and things like that is definitely stuff that people can follow. Just feel free to reach out. There's also contact details on our website to just reach out and ask where somebody with a certain skill set or somebody with a, uh, within a certain organization can collaborate with Mr. Green and, and accelerate the process. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And the website for those listening is Mr. Green, Mr. Greenafrica.com. Yeah. As usual, all the links and the notes will be on happyportradio.com. Thank you, Kieran. Really, really appreciate you coming and sharing that. Um, there's so much there. It's really inspirational. I think it is a real pleasure to have spoken to you. Likewise. No, it was all my pleasure as well. Thank you so much for the opportunity for sharing our vision and our purpose. Thanks for listening to this episode of Happy Porch Radio. Hope you enjoyed it. You can hear more of our episodes at happyporchradio.com. You can also get in touch with us there. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you have any ideas or if you want to talk to us about something. We'd also love it if you can share these podcasts, review, rate, tell your pals, tell your neighbors, tell everyone. Tell your dog. Tell your dog. <laughs> Listen along with the whole family. And my name's Barry and I founded HappyPorch.com and Happy Porch fund and support the podcast. At Happy Porch, we do technology and software development for purpose-led businesses. And we are particularly excited about the role of digital as an enabler for the circular economy. So if you're working on solutions to the big problems we face today, problems like climate change and biodiversity loss and global inequality, then let's connect. Visit HappyPorch.com and get in touch. And my name's Emily and I am a coach facilitator and a podcaster. My projects focus on personal development, innovation for a better world and connecting with nature. My latest podcasting adventure alongside Happy Porch Radio is exploring the world of carbon removal. Find out more about this and everything that I do at emilyswaddle.com or you can get in touch with me at hello at emilyswaddle.com. <laughs>